listening to the Carrero Podcast. I am Malia Hoffman, and I'm here with Fred Ramirez. Today, our guest is Aaron Sherman. Aaron taught early years in Dubai and South Africa, the early primary years in the U.S., and the upper primary years in Chile and Malaysia. Next year, she will be headed to Helsinki, Finland, to teach early primary again. Aaron currently lives in Malaysia and is the PYP coordinator and year six teacher. And in February, she was appointed as the interim assistant head of school. All right, Erin, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate you um, being here today. So you're in Malaysia. You said it's 10 p.m., which is uh, late for a school night. But can you please share with us a little bit about your teaching philosophy and education and maybe if it's changed over the years? Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here and do this. This is the first time I've ever done anything like this. So so I'm, I'm ready to learn and do things together, which um, kind of brings me to the education philosophy is that like children learn best through doing. And I always thought that I believed in a constructivist point of view where we try and draw on students' experiences. And I definitely believed in that for a very long time. And I think my mind started to shift a little bit when I was introduced with the concept of IB and the International Baccalaureate and this concept of letting go in how we teach others. And that when we shift the ownership of students being the agents and the ones that are in charge, that this meaningful learning happens, that it's not just pulling on of experiences, it's students creating their own interests. Um, And I, I guess like the important thing about my educational philosophy is like, you know, releasing that power, talk less, listen more, um, feel that pain of um, long wait times, because that's when the best learning happens, and savor those good questions. That wait time thing was one of the things I struggled with so much when I was a new teacher. And when my principal observed me, he's like, you need to wait, like count to three or four in your head before you ask like the first kid with their hand up because I would be so nervous and I'd be like, I can't have it quiet that, but that's where all the thinking is happening. So it's okay. Absolutely. And, and I found that I have one student that I have right now who has a hearing aid and, um, and he often takes that extra time. And I remember when I just stopped and gave him, and I mean, like I'm talking painfully long, that long time where you're like, someone needs to say something. And it's just that one moment where, where you get that one student that never has the courage to say anything because you're just not, because everybody beats them to the punch and then they start talking and it's like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. This is exactly why we do what we do. So that, that wait time is just, that's the way to go. Yeah. Uh, so, so talk about that. Talk about how you went from a construction of this point of view to to now um, doing what what you are doing because that that takes a lot of reflection. Um, and so, how how did you come about that? And where are you now? Are you are you comfortable? Are you still looking? How, you know, and that's my. That's we're never really comfortable, right? <laughs> As like we're never comfortable that like, I don't know about you, but I'm always like itching for more or I'm like not quite happy with how that lesson went or, you know, I, I need, needed more things or I I didn't get what I wanted. So as teachers, we're always uncomfortable and reflecting and trying to be better. Um, but I think kind of 
this constructivist approach of like following the students like interest was just a springboard. And what really, really provoked my um, inspiration and curiosity was just seeing the whole child and they call them soft skills, which is like such an insult mm-hmm. because there's nothing soft about them. <laughs> um, so, so the, the idea that like, you know, what makes you internationally minded, what makes you reflective, what makes you a thinker um, those like little, little things that we use every day that are so integral in everything that we do that we just don't value it. And it just to have that be like, this is what you should do in teaching. This is what we should foster. it was like, Oh, why haven't I been doing this from the beginning? Like, mm-hmm. I, this is such a great idea. So it was just this aha moment of teaching beyond the subjects, teaching beyond the curriculum, teaching beyond two plus two equals four. It was, you know, why do you think that is? How do you think this happened? What can we do with this? And these, these provocations that bring out the best in its learners really kind of shifted my mindset in what makes good quality education. And I think, teaching abroad was definitely an opportunity for me to see that. I don't think I would have seen it in the U.S. Yeah, so so tell us about that. How how did a girl, now you're from the Midwest, right? Yes, okay, yes, so I'm from Ohio. How, yeah, yeah, so how does a Midwest farmer's daughter end up in <laughs> South Africa? <laughs> so I, um, at Ohio University, um, go Bobcats, um, I was part of, I, it was a really great program. It had a really bad reputation of being a party school, but I got to tell you, I learned so much. And I was in the classroom more my undergraduate career than most people are in their master's programs. Mm-hmm. So like sophomore year, they got my foot in the door and mm-hmm. I was teaching in rural Ohio, title one, low poverty students, and really just getting my hands in there. Um, and I always wanted to travel and I never really saw an avenue of education as like, Oh, you can go and teach abroad. Um, until my professor was like, would you like to do your student teaching in a different country? And I was like, yes, please. I'll I'll have one of those. Mm -hmm. Um, and so they were like, where do you want to go? And I'm like, so it was between Greece and South Africa and I ended up in South Africa and it was transformative. I learned it. It was post-apartheid. It was in 2012, but it was still very, very heavily. uh, There were definitely fragments of of post-apartheid stigmas and slurs and, you know, some racial discrimination that was going on. And and I remember it's ironic now that I'm having this conversation with you, given what's going on right now in our world. Um, But I remember, you know, being 22 and in South Africa and being like, wow, we have progressed so much. Mm. Mm. And I remember thinking like, there was so blatant segregation and, and there was still so much of like the things that you know, as a 22 year old, that like, yeah, that's not good. Mm-hmm. Like, no, we shouldn't really do things like that. Um So it kind of gave me a little bit more perspective about how I was not just teaching to learn or I wasn't learning students or teaching students. I was actually like working with human beings and, and it kind of like that, that student teaching experience basically just shifted my idea that I'm not just working with learners. Like I'm, I'm working with human beings and what does it mean to be human in this world? 
Yeah. That's really beautiful. And that's something that I try to share with my students all the time is that who cares if you don't get through the curriculum? Like really, who cares? Because if you are meeting the needs of your little humans in your classroom, that's all that matters. Like it doesn't matter if they can do their times tables today. It is they come in and they have an issue and they're going through something and they're hungry or whatever, address their needs. And then later, later you might be able to get through whatever the curriculum is. But yeah, they're little humans. Yeah. I like yeah, that. And I, I I think it became so relevant um when I came back. So I had, you know, taught in rural Ohio you know, had seen that there was low poverty. It was very, very, you know, lots of poverty, lots of drug use, then going to South Africa, teaching little ones, um, you know, seeing, you know, post-apartheid, then coming back and teaching in the U.S. And it was just this, how am I supposed to teach all these standards? Mm -hmm. Like, like, why? I've got kids that are like, saying these things that, oh, I can't sleep because my mom, because there's things growing in my house because of the lights and it's being too bright. Hmm. And it's like, you're not supposed to be growing things in your house, (laughs) sweetie. Or like there are things going on that, you know, are not legal and they don't know where their food is coming from. And it was just like, how am I supposed to do this? How can I teach a curriculum Mm -hmm. when these child's needs are not being met? Um, So it's kind of, was one of the reasons that I didn't want to stay in the U S and teach. I, it's not that I wasn't strong enough and and maybe in hindsight, maybe I wasn't strong enough because it was a lot of hard work. And I just, I wanted to see what else was out there and I wanted to see how, how, how were other people doing it in the world? You know, I, I've I've grown up in Ohio. I've grown up in the U S you know, what's going on in the other, in the world when it comes to education um, and so I've bounced. I've bounced around through several different continents, the Middle East, um, uh, South America, uh, Southeast Asia, and now I'm headed to Europe. So I, I just want to get a taste of what what's really going on in the world when it comes to education. Yeah. So I read in your bio that you're going to Helsinki, which, man, I just cannot get enough good reading on Helsinki education. So I'm really excited for you for that experience. Mecca. It's yeah, the Mecca. It is. Like. <laughs> and you say you weren't strong enough to teach in the U.S., and I don't believe that. I, I believe that we we are pretty honest that we don't do education very well. Like, we just don't. We're not ranked in the top 10 in the world, and we should be because we're rich, you know, like we have a very right. high GDP. But based on the, the amount of our budget from our GDP percentage-wise associated with education is like half as much as what Finland does. And Finland's is so small. Additionally, their class sizes are like 10 students to one teacher. Whereas many of my students go into classrooms with 30 plus students. And that is insane. That is insane. And no teaching support. And and I remember making IEPs Mm -hmm. and like this like third grade, no child left behind Mm -hmm. jargon and like making sure that my kiddos were ready for third grade and not being able to read. And it, it, it's a broken system. And, mm-hmm. and I, I hope to come back and maybe make some waves if, if the stars align, but, mm-hmm. um, you, you guys got to get some movers and shakers in there. Maybe this yeah. COVID thing will definitely be, you know, a way in to see if some shape, some change. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I think what, what we've been talking about throughout some of our, some of our podcasts with, with educators here 
is taking this time, pushing that pause, pause button, saying, look, this has got to change. Um, we're not, we're not doing things well, obviously. Um, when, when we have teachers who don't know how to put stuff up online and online education has, has been going on for a couple decades now. Um, but one of the things that, that does interest me and I've, and there's, there's a huge part of me that has always wanted to teach over, um, over, overseas. Um, and, um, all of us have traveled. I'm, I'm coming from a high school perspective and you guys are talking about littles and hugging and all that. No, no one no. said hugging. I, no one said hugging. I don't. No, no. <laughs> Social distance, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, said uh, meeting their needs. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Um, no. Um, how do you go in without knowing the language? Um, and I, and, and I'm, and I'm coupling it with, we, we look upon that as difficult, but here in the U.S., we could care less if a kid is coming in with like a, with their first, first language not being English. They just have to know English right now in order to do this assessment and, or else, you know, well, it's, if they don't pass it, then, well, okay, who cares? We'll just keep on moving. So, so how do you work in primary ed when probably the kids don't know any type of English, even though they may have a better bilingual education, um, education system there. Well, I think from a teacher's perspective, I think that's like the most vulnerable and valuable opportunity for you as an educator, because you're learning alongside with them. Um, how powerful is that? The natural inquiry of gathering a language is, is co-constructed together. Um, you're building rapport with your students. You're, you're building that mutual trust and understanding that, hey, I'm learning just like you are. Um, so I think that kind of like balances the playing field, I guess. Um, yeah, and I think even in like in, at a high school level, I think it, it makes you even more relatable to be able to go into a place that they don't, you know, where you don't speak the language. And, and it tells them, hey, like, yeah. You, I may be the adult, I may be your educator, but that doesn't mean that I know everything. I am not all knowing that we are in this together and that I can learn from you and you can learn from me. And I think living in South America when I was teaching there, that was the biggest testament is that, you know, I, I would joke along and, and when the songs would come out and they were all in Spanish and I was like, okay, tell me what this means. And they're like, no, miss no miss. <laughs> like, oh, okay. But it's just that kind of idea that like, you're obviously, when you show that you're interested in engaging in, in their, their interests, obviously, you know, it's going to be mutual and, and reciprocated. So I think that brings up a really good point about something that says a lot about who you are, because a lot of teachers are not comfortable not knowing the answer or yep. being vulnerable in front of their students because there is this expectation, at least historically, that the teachers are all-knowing and they have all the answers and that um, they're the authority in the classroom. But I think you're absolutely right. You gain this little piece of trust from them already by showing some vulnerability. And absolutely. it's that's, um, that's a really cool experience. I'm just enamored with your worldwide experiences. Fred and I are both just like travel nerds and want to see yeah. all things everywhere. So 
Um, I just think it's so cool that you've had these opportunities to, to go to all these different schools and stuff. Do you have one that's been your favorite or that kind of just holds like a special place in your heart? For a living, definitely where I live now, Mm -hmm. um, in Malaysia. Well, one, because I met my husband in, (laughs) so, um, that helps, but (laughs) it does help. Um, But another reason why is because I've been with my students for three years. This is something that I've never heard of in my entire life and will probably never experience ever again. My students have been my students since they were in third grade. So third grade, fourth grade, and now this year in fifth grade. They've all been together. We've been with my kids. I love that piece, because there's there's something to be said about that. yeah, but it's also terrifying because that means that if I screwed up, they have no one to blame. Me. <laughs> like if they fail next year, like mm-hmm. it's all, all on me. Yep. Well, yeah. I was I was hearing that there was there was high schools that were here in the in the U.S. They would they would have homeroom with the with the same teacher for you know four four years, um, and 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 the reason being is that it it, it enabled teachers to get to know this group of 35 to 40 kids. And so if there was any, any problems, then, then they could go to this teacher and says, Oh yeah, Johnny's, Johnny's mom died, you know? And so this is what's going on. And we've been talking about that within, within class and blah, blah, blah. So I, I kind of like that type of system. Yeah. Um, but maybe at times by bringing in maybe different voices from time to time, so there's a couple of theories about this one I thought was really interesting. I think I've read that article that you were talking about. It talked about how you do these passion projects that you right. start in freshman year of high school and that like each year they get more intricate, but you're moving up with the homeroom teacher. So you're building that relationship. You're building on those interests, which right. I found very, very interesting. I think with an international construct, like within the international community, it would be very, very difficult because there are so many people coming in and out at any given time because we're an expat community. So families might be only contracted for two years. And so like, you know, moving up, what does that look like? Or when there's families that are only in for a year or three years. So there's, there's all sorts of great things. I was very lucky. Um, I started off with 10 children and I ended up with 10 children. Now, five of them are the same. And then five have kind of like come in along the way. Wow. Um, yeah, but I've ended up, but I ended up with only 10 children at the end of the year, hmm. which is nothing. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. nothing. And, and, but they've been like, they've been my humans for the past three years. And I'm like sitting here going through photos for their graduation. I'm like, they're so little. <laughs> and they grow so much. So it's just, it's really nice to be able to like see that progression. And it's like, I knew when you were just working on multiplication mm-hmm. and now you can divide like three digit times two digits. And you were really interested in video games and now you know how to program and like all of these really cool, like milestones that, that I've been able to take with these kids. So it's been, it's been a privilege. That's pretty well, crazy. And, and, and now though you're, so tell us how you became the interim head of the school. Uh Oh, um, for those of you that are only listening, she just gave some eyes. <laughs> it was, it, it was a, it was an exciting time and there wasn't really a lot. There wasn't really a lot of like 
do you want to take on this role? It was like, no, 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 we need you to take on this role. We're in a situation. You need to help us out. We call that voluntold where I come from. (laughs) Voluntold. Oh my gosh, I love that. Yes, I was voluntold. I was voluntold. Um, so, but actually it ended up being really nice. Um, my, my students, I was already the curriculum coordinator. Um, so I was already being responsible for the whole school with curriculum and was taking on a couple of other leadership roles that here and there, um, my students knew that I was taking on more responsibility. And so they knew that, oh, well, she may have to run out for a little while. Oh, she might have to go to a meeting or, oh, she might have to go to an interview. And then it started to become a little bit more frequent. And they were like, what's going on? Well, here's what happened. And they're like, oh, okay. So, like, we have to be really good now, right? Because, like, (laughs) you're the assistant head of school. Like, we Mm -hmm. we have to to be, like, the good guys. And I'm like, I guess. Like, if that's what you feel is right. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then, like, a week after COVID hit, And then it was like, okay, here we go. Management team, transition everybody online, go. Um, So I really didn't have time to think. Um, I've been taking a couple of classes online. I've been, when I took the role uh, as curriculum coordinator last year or two years ago, um, I was keeping in mind that I was, it wasn't just the curriculum, it was people. That, that that was my struggle is that I needed to work with people, mm. that I needed to be able to make sure that they were, they felt comfortable to come to me, that they were valued, that, you know, very similar to teaching. So um, there was a lot of courses that I had taken to prepare me for that. So um, some teachers still don't like me. I'm okay with that. Um, but they do respect me and I get stuff done. Um, and they do it. They, I do it because I know that they can. Mm-hmm. And I, I choose people over paperwork. That has been kind of like the whole mantra of, of tackling distance learning and being a leader when I've had to step up. Um, it's, you know, is, is what I'm asking or what I want from them really going to be helpful? And, and how can I let, and, and again, as an educator, letting things go. What am I able to let go? What am I able to say, you know what, this isn't as important as this, so... So how has COVID uh, affected you and your students and your families and all of that? So how did that transition go for you or going? It's been from a, from a teacher perspective, it's been a joy. Um, my students, I, 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 for those of you that are not quite familiar, are we have like a final year project that the students have been working on since August. Um, And they literally choose the thing that they are interested in and they investigate individually for six months. And so my students have just been doing these personal inquiries since August and our, our presentations were in April and we went on lockdown in March and they're like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We can't present our projects. And I was like, Hmm, let me get out in the community and see what we can do. So we did it all online 400 or no, how many educators? I can't remember. At least 400 educators and like 150 students from around the world tuned in to watch. Wow. Uh, We had to to turn off the thing for like at one point because it was just too much to manage. Um, So we had... We have presentations about everything from, like I said, programming to homelessness and poverty to um, innovation 
And um, that one was about open mining. And this child did a change.org website to stop open mining. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. And And these are fifth graders. Yeah. They're they're 10 and 11. That's awesome. It was was crazy. It was crazy. And the kids were just absolutely stoked. They were Mm -hmm. so excited. And one one of my students did it, half of it in Japanese. The other one was in English. And then we had another person who did it in Mandarin and and another one in in Iranian. So, yeah. And we just had people from all over the world just – coming in to listen to my kiddos talk for, you know, 20 minutes about something that they've inquired about since August. So they've really taken it in stride. Um, yeah, it's been really, really exciting. That's almost like a positive outcome of COVID because you probably wouldn't have done that had you not been in school and therefore their family members who are all over the world are able to see this and participate and support. And that's pretty cool. It's pretty impactful. Yeah. 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 It was definitely, definitely the, the glass half full kind yeah. of situation. Yep. Um, the parents were very, very, very pleased. Mm. And I was pleased because it was all hands off. It was one of those moments where it was like, I'm not needed anymore. Mm-hmm. Like my, my, my children have this. So that was really, really cool that I've like, I've never in my professional career been like hands off the wheel. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't need to do anything else. They've got this. Um, is pretty powerful. But that's, that's also a testament to your teaching and your guidance because that's what teaching is, is like empowering students to take the lead, to do something that they are really passionate about, find the resources on their own. You're really just enabling them to be self-sufficient, which is our job as educators. Yeah. And, and I, I think sometimes it gets lost. Yeah. So I think it was really exciting that I was able to honor it. And I, I, I really hope that other educators are able to release a little bit of that power mm-hmm. and, and give them that ownership. Because, man, when you do it, those skills, one of those students that I never thought would be able to read your level text. I just I, I just could never see him for, for two years. I remember thinking on the weekends, I don't know how this child's going to do it next year. I don't know what they're going to do. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're going to be able to do it. And this child just was reading these like high school level texts about programming and how energy systems work. And I'm wow. How I never in a million years would have ever thought, yes, that child is going to be reading at your level by the time he graduates with me. Well, and that's because he found something that he was passionate and interested in. And that's the trick with reading with kids who don't read. That means they haven't found the right book. So exactly. mm -hmm. Exactly. So, so I like, yeah, it was just an incredible experience. And I think you're right. Like just getting them the right book and Mm -hmm. knowing your students well enough to give them those books. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, so tell us about a, about a lesson that you look back on and go, that was a great lesson. Okay. <laughs> I tell the story a lot. It's one of my favorite lessons. So settle in. Okay. So, um, I was teaching a personal finance unit last year with my students and, um, we were inquiring into what is personal finance. So my students created their own current currency. They called it Eaton Bucks. Our school is Eaton House. Cute. So they called it Eaton Bucks. And our, our, um, 
student council president, which was also in our class, he was on the bills. And they were created in Mandarin class. So they talked about where the origin of money came from, like how the symbols, the, the concept of bartering came from. It was taught in Mandarin. Um, they were created in Mandarin class. Then we talked about what, um, how do you earn money in school? Like what would be the equivalent? What makes a good student? What would that look like? How could you earn money? So they clocked in and out every day for two weeks to pay for a puppet show that they had to pay for using using the, the money that they had earned for their, they called it a student salary. So the students would buy props. Um, they had a piggy bank. They had to balance their checks, checkbook to make sure that they were saving the money, save their checks. Um, and they would hire actors for their play. So they had to create their own CVs on Canva and they did help wanted signs. And we talked about, I'm a confident communicator or I'm very principled because I can be on time for class. And, and so we talked about what those types of words would be um, as part of our um, IB learner profile. And so they hired actors, they paid their actors and they paid for the props and rehearsals. And then they put on the performance. Wow. The best part was one of my students went broke. <laughs> wow. Right. So he went broke and had to, they all, my kids started like, well, I'll loan you money, but you're going to have to pay me interest the next time you, you get paid your student salary. Amazing. Like, no, no. Okay. Let's come up with another plan. He's like, but Miss Aaron, I have, I have some money left over. It's, it's in the Mandarin room. Um, is it okay if I go get it? And it was saved for an activity that they were doing. So he had to walk across the courtyard and go into his savings to pay for the, the actors that he had hired because mm -hmm. he had run out of money because he kept buying paper. He would be like, oh, if the paper would be like 14 Eaton bucks. And he'd, he'd hand off a 50 and be like, here, keep the change. <laughs> and it happened over and over and over again. And, and like what happens you run out of money wow so that was a that was a pretty awesome unit that the kids still talk about today we were actually just talking about that anything story problems anything with money i gave a standardized test to just just to see how they would do and all the questions they got right were about money all of them yeah i mean because you made it personal you made it yeah. something that they cared about it was easy for them to understand because it was connected to a real purpose. Right? I yeah. think that's what like I yeah. think that's what makes it such a great unit. I've got tons of other ones. Though. Man, that I sounds like a blast. That sounds it was a super lot of fun. fun. Yeah. And you hit so many of like the good context or like the content across the curriculum in that. Like yep. in uh, not just finance, but just like how like supply and demand works and how um, you like how current events happen and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what ended up really well and forget about like the writing skills, you've got descriptive writing, mm -hmm. you've got, you know, script writing, you've got, you know, narratives, things like that. Um, and, and it flows really nicely in our program because we also go into government. Mm -hmm. And so we talk about, you know, what is the role of government when it comes to finances and, it, you know, so, so our, 
having that flexibility like that to create these yeah. these ideas and these units really create like a fluid cycle of of learning, which is really yeah. what life is. And you're really addressing higher level topics and content area that you wouldn't necessarily address until they're in high school. It's like supply and demand and you know how like bartering and that kind of stuff works. Like that's pretty complex. And interest. Yeah. And credit and mm-hmm. debit and like tax. Yeah. Like yeah. It's mm-hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. And what's, what's cool is that you were also there was also that social emotional side coming out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, which is which is Panic. one of yeah, yeah. It's like, well, what do I do? Well, here, I'll do this, but you're going to need to do this too, um, which is, which is very ad- adult like. I mean, it's you know, mm-hmm. and that's what's that's what's really cool. But but then the introspection from himself and say, no, I don't, I don't want a loan. Yeah, Let me just like I want to do this myself. myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But then he also learned about. We could be generous, but we also need to watch how generous we are, you know, by saying, oh, here, here, you know, here's this, just keep the change, you, you know, without think, saying, you, you know, here, well, here's, here's like a dollar or two more, you know, just to, you know. The biggest thing I think he realized, because I don't think he realized it right away, like he was going back and forth, like, oh, where'd all my money go? Where'd all my money go? Um, and it wasn't until the end, until we started balancing our checkbook and that was the reflective process Mm -hmm. of okay how much money did I how much money did I actually earn over these two weeks how much were my actors and how much were my props and he started seeing the discrepancies of oh well I earned this much but I only spent this much on my props and I only paid this much where was all my money going and so like that was the question that I had turned around to him I don't know where did your money go and it like he sat with it for a while and he was like, oh, I don't think I got my change. And I was like, OK, tell me more. And he was like, well, I just I didn't want my change. I didn't want to wait and get my change. So and I'm like, OK, so so what do you think you've learned from this? What what happened next? Well, then I couldn't pay my actors. So I probably should remember to take my change next time. And I'm like, <laughs> awesome all right well one job done yeah and I like the way that you guided him to the answer and not just gave him the answer you know like you made him think about it and think about like what what was important to him to him in his mind his time was more valuable than that money that he wanted like was going to give up but then in hindsight realized well actually I don't have that much money so I should probably value my time a little bit more yeah (laughs) And I, I don't know what it was about time, but maybe it's a totally developmentally appropriate that, that children that age are always in a rush, right? We always mm-hmm. tell our children to like, slow down, slow down. You know, they're eating too fast. They're doing their work too fast. So I think that was a mentality, I think, developmentally appropriate for that child to be like, oh, I have to work. I have to work. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it has its consequences as well. So for them to feel that and to be able to have that relevant experience was just couldn't have paid couldn't have paid money for it right well yeah so so now you're um now you're now you're taking all that you know all of this stuff over to Helsinki um how did this come about and you know and and just to let our our listeners know you're going to be working with some of the people that we interviewed here 
So, um, yeah, tell us about, about this. So I, it's really a crazy story. It's a really crazy story. So there's this girl, I, I just intro, gotten onto Twitter. I was like, okay, I'm going to start entering the Twitter sphere. Um, it, it seems like a good idea. I'm just thinking about going to start looking for jobs. Um, but I've heard a lot of good things. So I, I, I found my, my tag and, and started, you know, zipping around. And one of the first names that came up was an educator from Ohio who was living in Finland and was also a curriculum coordinator. So she was one of the first girl friends that I had messaged. And I was like, oh, you're from Ohio. I'm from Ohio. You're a coordinator. I'm a coordinator. So it was kind of like that type of thing that it was very, very innocent on my part. Like, oh, I just, it was so nice to see somebody that, you know, was, was from my state that had, you know, was teaching and was doing things that I was doing, you know, as a curriculum coordinator in such a very niche market right now. Um, and she was like, oh, well, I, I teach in Helsinki in Finland. And I'm like, oh, wow, wouldn't mm-hmm. that be great? Um, so anyways, jump a couple months ahead. I'm, I'm um, applying for jobs, applying for jobs, applying for jobs. And I get an email from the International School of Helsinki. Um, and they were like, we'd like to interview you for a position. So I was like, okay, let me just stop everything I'm doing. And, and sure, I will interview whatever you want. Um, so, and I interviewed her and, and the interview was great. And then a few days passed and I'm like, oh, I didn't do a really good job of researching my interviewer. I usually do a really good job. I was so excited about the school itself. I didn't spend time with my, who I was interviewing with. And it turns out it was the girl from Twitter. Whoa. <laughs> that's amazing so, so it was one of those like now in hindsight I know that like she my name must have caught her eye yeah. when when they were flipping through and they were like oh let's grab her let's let's see. love and that I, yeah I had no idea so again the power of technology the connection just with a couple of clicks and messages, you made a fast friend and now you have a job and you're going to Mecca to teach. <laughs> I know. I know. And, and it was, it, yeah, well, we didn't think we were going to go to Mecca. We found out in November. And so mm. we've been sitting here twirling oh, our right. thumbs. Where's my visa? Where's my visa? Mm. But we got it last week. Okay. So. Good. Congrats. Yeah. So when are you yeah. due to go then? July 15th. Okay. July 15th. Wow. Are you restricted to COVID at all or are you going to have to quarantine? where we anticipate we will be, Mm. um, my visa. So the the children come back on the 10th. So we'll be, um, we've got a little bit of wiggle room. Mm -hmm. Um, but the plan is, is that we arrive in, uh, the 15th or the 20th. And then that should give me 14 days of wiggle room. Um, and then off I go to work, but yeah, they're back at school. Like Finland's all about like getting back to school or all about mm-hmm. social distancing and they've got great procedures and great systems to keep the children safe and happy and healthy and mm-hmm. still still kicking butt at, at what they do. Doesn't so, surprise um, me at all. <laughs> they've yeah. just got it together. Yeah. I, I, just, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. Really looking forward to it. That's super cool. So as we tie up, we like to ask our teachers or our educators what their call to action is. So if you could leave our listeners with one thing to take away from you, what do you think that would be? 
wrote three down. You can um, have three I, call to actions. I, I was going to say, I, yeah. I was going to say when the moment felt right, I didn't know which one I was going to lead uh-huh. to, but, but we've got a couple of minutes. Okay. So if you are an educator, and I guess this kind of goes for all human beings, um, but if you're an educator, be human and be happy. Um, being happy is an important feature in creating strong, authentic inquiry focused lessons. Um, and, and if you are happy that you can create stronger relationships with your classmates and and your employees, if you are not in the education Mm -hmm. spectrum. Okay. The second one, it's okay to be scared. If you're thinking about teaching abroad, just do it. Mm -hmm. You won't regret it. There are a thousand reasons not to do it. I know. And given the current climate, it's, it's scary. It's scarier now more than ever. Um, if you have the opportunity and you, there's that feeling inside saying, I feel like something's missing. I really want to try something new. Go for it. There are tons of different resources out there to help you get abroad. If it's something that you really want to do, Love it. um, just, just do it. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the last thing, um, I'm glad this one's the last one, I guess now more than ever, just remember to be kind to each other. Yes. Um, be aware of what's happening all around Mm -hmm. you and, and just take the lead and do the right thing and, and, um, keep advocating for things that you believe in. Amazing. Erin, what are your social media platforms that you would like to share with our listeners? Oh, thank you so much for asking. Mm -hmm. I am on Twitter, Uh um, at an inquiry educator. That's I N Q U I R Y educator. E D U C A T O R. Amazing. And, and my husband, my my husband's giggling, but I'm totally gonna say, I don't know if you've ever seen the show on Parks and Rec. Thoughts for your thoughts. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. Awesome. Oh my God, Erin, I just loved talking with you tonight. Um, thank you so much for your time. I'm so excited to you're, see you're where you go. We're gonna try to connect with you again after you've gotten settled in Helsinki and yeah. see how that's going. But thank you so much. This was amazing. Oh, I'm happy to help out. This was great. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I hope you have a wonderful day and stay safe. Wash your hands. Yes, (laughs) appreciate it. Bye. Thank you.